Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning. Um, I will reference that video a little bit later on, but there's some interesting stuff in there. And, you know, as a reminder, nothing that we ever say or play here is what we think is absolutely we agree with every single inch of it and we think this is what you should think. We only ever present things to you so that you can consider for yourself, how does that speak to me? Oh, which bits made me go, oh, I like that bit, oh, that's me, oh, I'm not sure about that. Because we are here every Sunday to try and give you some things to think about so that you can genuinely digest and think about them. And we're not all gonna come to the same conclusions immediately and nor should we. I wanted to start by saying Happy New Year. So welcome everyone to 2023. Um, It's what we say, isn't it? We all go Happy New Year. Um, But it's genuinely what I mean this morning because I do wish us all the best for 2023. Um, Sometimes that best comes in packages that we really like and sometimes things that can be best for us come with some challenge. And we've heard it said before here a number of times, that Eckhart Tolle quote that says, life will give you whatever experience is most helpful for the evolution of your consciousness. And if you take that at one level, you can get into all sorts of trouble working out whether things should or should not have happened to us or be happening to us. But if you take it at a different level and just step outside of the material things, you can then hear it saying that life is always giving you something that can help you live more consciously. In the midst of whatever's happening, you can be aware. And as we come alive to that awareness in ourselves, we can have a heart to know, eyes to see, a mind to understand, and it will help us. And so I want to start 2023 by saying that I believe life gives us helpful things. It's giving to us and that investment doesn't run out. And in a world where we are regularly encouraged to see lack, to see gaps, to see where we're being taken from, where we must be consuming more to be complete, remembering that life is a gift that gives us something isn't a bad way to start a year. And so may 2023 be a year in which you see that life gives to you and be receptive to that giving. Because, you know, we don't have to receive it. We don't have to live conscious or aware. There are plenty of options to hide in, to be afraid of, to distract ourselves with, and we can sleepwalk our way into things all the time, and most of us have. So, let's be awake. Um, And I hope this morning I'm going to share some thoughts in two parts. 
that are going to really help you. Can I have the lights up just a little bit so I can see some faces? Thanks. Thanks, Phil. That's fair. Hi. Um, so I've not been able to shake a story that many of you might be familiar with, so I'm going to start with the story of Mary and Martha. If you have not heard of it before, it's a really good one. So, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, that story for me is one I go back to all the time, because for me, it speaks through the ages. Because in a few lines, that story packs a really challenging punch, especially and those of us who punch first, or feel punch first, will be the Marthas. Because Jesus' words in that moment do not feel loving or kind when we are in Martha mode. Now in the message version it says this, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. I've had a break over Christmas. I've forgotten how to speak up here. Sorry. Um, now, I wouldn't recommend that the strategy of fussing far too much and getting yourself worked over for nothing is used regularly with your friends, your spouse, your work colleagues. It doesn't land well. Just pause and think how that line would land if said to you, at the height of your injustice, at the height of your greatest efforts to serve an honoured guest... After you have done the lion's share of the work, whilst the other person who shares the responsibility in your mind seems to have abandoned you, and after that person who has abandoned you is praised by the one person you were making the effort for. You've got to feel for her. You've really got to feel for her because that stings and you would feel it in your bones. And the context here is also really important because Martha and her siblings, Mary and Lazarus, they are Jesus' friends. So she's arguably being incredibly reasonable and very hospitable. And she's likely wanting to do and bring her best to a treasured guest. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. So it's not about who does the work and who gets to sit down. Because if everyone sits down, nothing happens. I saw this absolutely brilliant meme this week that said, Lord... I want to be like Mary today, but can you invite Martha over to clean my house? <laughs> I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Now, the challenge I see is that in this moment, Martha resents the role she has ended up being assigned in the home, in the family, on that day. We don't know if this is universal. It might be, but we know it's on that day. And she looks at the part she is playing... She looks at the part another is playing, and she looks at how the other is seen, how she's not seen and recognised, and it spills out. I get that. Um, Lord, don't you care? 
My sister has left me to do this all by myself. Tell her to help me. I think it's brilliant for capturing what happens in in homes and lives and in the world every day. We've seen some of it in the news this week, haven't we? Parts in families, in relationships, in groups, in work settings, in wider society. Jesus tells her she's worried about many things. And it's about the cumulative effect effect of the role she's playing when others, she perceives, are having a far easier ride at her expense. Now, some of us have felt that or feel this, and we probably will again. And others of us have such things in different details, but I think we all get it. We all get where we say, I don't like this part that I am playing in this scenario. And mixed in with that is whether we feel we chose it or whether it was assigned to us, how long we've had to play it, our if-onlys and our many mind dances around all these issues. I don't like this part I am playing. Now, can you see how that is absolutely the opposite of where I began that life gives to us. In this scenario, life's not giving us anything. Life is demanding we are assigned to a certain way of being. Now, Jesus indicates powerfully, albeit painfully perhaps, that mending from those things is going to be an inside job for Martha because he won't correct Mary he insists, as Mary has chosen what is better. Again, ouch, um, ouch. Um, One thing, he says, few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. I'm not taking away what she's doing. Now, it seems to me that it changes from saying, you know, I know you don't like this part you're playing, but you're going to have to find another way. Now, I've read a few things this week about what the one thing could be. It says Mary has chosen one thing. Um, And it's not definitive. You can find as many interpretations as the one thing as you can find people. And I was reflecting this week. I was an English teacher for many, many years. And I'll have shared this before, but the way that young people and teenagers get really good grades in English is not by having one interpretation. That won't even get you a C grade. They're not Cs anymore, are they? Grade four, I think. Um, It won't even get you. If you only have one interpretation of a thing, it doesn't get you what you need to progress on to college without having to resit it. The, The more marks... You want, if you want more marks, you basically have to look at a text and be able to see a range of interpretations and possibilities and express your own thought about them, which I love because this is the journey Q is on, that we don't have one way of seeing anything, one fixed way that's right for all time. We look at it and go, what might that mean? And these are some of the things that came up. Um, Being present to inhabit any moment we are in. Ditching our sense of we have to do, we have to do to be worthy and do to be pleasing and our long to-do lists we have in life. Prioritising listening to Jesus in your life. Not hiding in tasks or work and then calling that spirituality. And preparedness. 
I love that word. Always being, one person said that basically, if only Martha had decided that she must always be ready for any guest who comes to the door in case someone shows up. I mean, I don't, some of you will, you will be in that scenario. I sometimes don't have milk and I rarely have biscuits. So if you show up at my house unannounced, um, you might not get a cup of tea. But the idea that this story was about, you know, we have to always be prepared in case anything happens. I mean, for me, that would be life living right on the edge of anxiety, a bit like that video. But there are possibilities for the one thing. But I want to just sort of boil it down to this this morning, if you'll allow me. Jesus' words in that moment to Martha, I think were very kind. Because to me, what he said was, Martha, simplify this uncomplicate what you are trying to do here and find your one thing. Find your one thing for this moment. And our life gets so complicated by how we feel about the roles we have ended up being assigned and the roles we have ended up playing. And what we do is we complicate it because we get stuck in these patterns that we don't even consciously realise we're doing. Have you noticed any patterns you follow in terms of the roles that you take on in your life? Just have a think for a moment. Have you noticed, I always seem to end up doing that. In any group situation, I'm always the one that does that. That's always the part I play. I know I notice that I'm the pattern regularly. And we play it again and again and again. And then we can resent it oh, but we don't like to call it resentment because that doesn't make us sound very good. But that's actually what it is a lot of the time. Um, I watched the TV show recently, and I love one-liners when you're watching telly, and there was this brilliant line where one of the characters said, I love my grudges. I tend to them like little plants. Oh, that was brilliant. Because it's that persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. And we water it. And we water it. And then we play it again to water it a little more. And we are often the only pattern that we can change. Now, often what happens is when we change, things around us change because we've changed. But you can't ever guarantee that. And you can't make that happen, but you can guarantee that you can introduce change into your own life. And that means it doesn't always have to depend on who else cares, who else sees, who else should be told, who else isn't doing enough, and who has abandoned me. You do have some say. Because if I'm the pattern, and I choose to change it, and I sit down from all that stuff, then those who are currently in their own version of... Martha doing their thing, they might have a problem with me, but my choice will not be taken away from me any more than Mary's will. And that's true for you. So Martha had opportunity to learn something about herself and respond. And we've said it before many times, but it's really hard to be presented with a version of yourself that you dislike. Most of us, most of the time, are trying our best to be our best. And when you have a mirror from another person or a situation held up and you think, oh, thought that was my best. Oh, dear. <laughs> Didn't go quite so well, did it? It's really hard and it bruises the ego. And I thought this week that that's sometimes, I think, why we find ourselves playing the same part again. Because somehow it becomes redemptive. 
well, last time I failed at this, but this time I will put myself in the same situation and I shall be enough this time. Um, I also read this week, ego is just another word for blindness. The ego self is by definition the unobserved self because once you see it, the game is over. It's a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, where they have to own it. They have to say, I am so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. I thought this week, my name is Jenny, and I have resented many roles I have had to play in my life many times. That is true of me, and yet I still put on the same role the next time, voluntarily. Hmm. Um, will you observe yourself a little this week? and say, I am so-and-so, and I, boom. What's your thing that you keep going back to? And what are you potentially calling that instead of what it can really be? And when are we going to put that role down and get help from one another? Having an accurate understanding of these edited roles from our past may well be very important, as under, by understanding how we handle playing lesser-known roles that we're used to in the future. Now, we watched that video at the start, and there was a lot in there, and we'll put it on the blog, and you can watch it again. Um, but it just struck me that when he said, being present to the current moment in your life doesn't take away all that you've been or all that you need to think about in terms of what you see ahead, but we are such editors. We are such editors. And that idea that when we remember the past, we're not remembering it accurately. We're really not. We're remembering an edited version and a condensed version every time we remember the past. So you can't trust it fully. And then when we're in the present, because it's so unknown, it's mixed in with some anxiety because it's so un unknown, because we don't know what's going to happen next. And we our relationship with time and space is actually something that we have to work on. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that a little bit later. Because we cannot separate our memories. I've started watching a TV show, I'm not very far in, so I don't know if it's going to be any good, called Severance. And it's science fiction. And, a, and basically, people can sign up to do a job where you separate your memories of when you're not at work to your memories of when you're at work. So you get there and you get in a lift and they've got a chip in their brain. And then when you go down in the lift, you literally forget who you were when you weren't at work. And I thought, this is an interesting concept. Um, and the one, the, the one who's called the innie at work can't remember what the outie, who's not at work, is doing and vice versa. Now, for me, I've only ever heard innie and outies linked to belly buttons. So that in itself really made me laugh. Um, now, the lead character chose to do this because he was in grief. I don't know what about yet. I'm only on episode two. And he wanted to be able to forget. So he separated himself and thought, well, if I do this job, when I get in the lift at work, I will forget my pain. And I will just be someone else completely at work. And I won't be in pain for eight hours a day. But then he gets out of the lift at the end of the day and it all comes back. And I thought, what an interesting idea. And there's a reason why we want things separate in our lives to hide things even from ourselves sometimes, to disassociate because some things are really too painful. And that all stops us having this consciousness because we're like, oh, I don't see that. 
Don't see that, just don't look at that, distract yourself, switch telly on, go for a walk, talk to someone. Just don't see that. But if we understand our tendency to edit like this, we'll perhaps not always take everything we think as gospel truth. We'll work it through a little more. And we'll understand that future possibilities bring it bring with them an unknown that we might find less comfortable, but it's actually where we need to be. I loved being a teacher, but then I didn't love being a teacher by the end because that was why I left. And, but I regularly think that I shouldn't have left because that was the real call and vocation of my life that I should still be doing because that's where I was the best. Um, that was my one work love that I abandoned. And then I it, came, it became in my head that I failed at it. Then that becomes that I was in a bad place because of other things that were happening in my life at the time. And if they hadn't happened, I would still be there and it would all just be wonderful. Does anybody else do this or is it just me? Um, the stories we tell ourselves, the editing that we do, now, this, I watched a film over Christmas called The Adam Project, and it features time travel. An older Adam meets his 12-year-old self. And their dad died when they were 10 years old, and so the passing of time has meant that older Adam has a version, I think he must be in his 40s, older Adam has a version of his dad that younger Adam, who is 12, doesn't recognise. So I'm going to play you just a clip in a short moment, and then we're going to have a song from Danny. And I know I am in sensitive territory here, so I will just ask you to consider two questions in the coming days. And it's sensitive because we do genuinely have pains to navigate from our our past and the things we recall. Is there a version of the past that you are insisting must be true? Or might there be any flex for some of the nuance you may have edited out that will give you a greater insight into why you play out the current role in your life the way that you do? And could your healing be found in allowing room for sometimes some sad instead of so much mad. You'll see this in the clip. Because you don't want to stay too long in either, but when you're mad, it is quite blinding. So, part two. Um, I want us to consider in uh, this bit four things um, that I think might help us in practical ways linked to that story and just might give you some stuff to go in. Think about whether any of this... Um, Sounds like something that might be helpful to you. So the first one I've called comparing behavior and our standards. Comparison is really huge. Um, we want to find our own part to play outside of all these previously assigned roles, but then we start measuring that against other people. As well as measuring it against the past, we've got other people to contend with, like Martha had. Um, we think about, well, what's their roles? And what's their expectation of me? And then it multiplies into those many things because all of a sudden then it's not just me, I've got to navigate, I've got to navigate all of you. And then we get into justifications and have I got validation and am I approved of and is there a hierarchy? And we do all sorts of weird positioning. So not only have we got to work out what our role is, but how it fits with everybody else. And that, that's the many things. That's how we end up in the many things within and outside of ourselves. And again, there's a great story in the Bible of how Jesus cuts through that one. And I loved this because one time he and Peter, his disciple, are talking about really important details that's going to shape the decision Peter has to make for his life. And Peter's response to this is to look at someone else and say, what about him? Um, and Jesus replied, well, what's that to you? 
And again, you think, so simple. We have to simplify some of this. What is that to you? Um, the one thing Jesus was cutting through to was never mind them, because Peter was in danger of missing the point for his own Jesus Christ experienced life and faith because of his preoccupation with them, with the part they're playing. And arguably, when Jesus says to Martha that Mary has chosen what is better, he in that moment is comparing them, but the comparison has a point and it has its moment. It is not Mary chooses better all the time. Um, and we make moments, these universal things that happen to us, rather than a stepping stone for now. Right now, Martha, Mary is enjoying herself in my company and you are not. So just stop. It's about that moment. But it is so hard when you are rehearsed in the role of taking responsibility for the standard of how things are done. Um, because then you're distracted by the preparations. And I really get that. Martha most likely wanted it to be the best as she could see it. Because the best is loving, honouring and appropriate. And to give less than that to Jesus, of all people, to say that some things don't matter, how does she do that? And does our standard, which itself is often a comparison to something else in a different time and space than the one we're in now, sometimes get in the way, often get in the way of the moment itself? And might we have to care less sometimes about other people's behavior and our own standards to find our next one thing amidst the many? I find that really challenging. Um, number two. Taking a rest from brick making. Um, in Egypt, the children of Israel made bricks every day, every single day. And they were slaves, they had to. Um, but the picture we see when they're rescued and go into the desert is that they struggle to then not make bricks every day, even though they didn't like it, even though it was horrible and they were enslaved to it. When they don't have to do it anymore, they're not quite sure what to do with themselves. And they're given a Sabbath, a day of rest, to learn how to rest from what they've had to be locked into for so long. I'm simplifying, but you get the picture. But so how do we rest when our whole worth, life and service has been about making certain bricks? And what is that rest? And we all have things that we have done our whole lives that have represented who we are and our identity. And so I want to ask you this morning, what do you struggle to take a rest from. It will be different for all of us because we're all making different bricks. For some of you, you struggle to rest from work. That's me. Others of you, you struggle to rest from rescuing or planning or imagining or escapism or controlling, achieving, avoiding, apathy, pleasing. Some of you struggle to rest from adventure. You can't just be bored. Or replaying your edited history reel. And these can be bricks, and there are others. And I read this week about where a family realized this issue, and they introduced the Sabbath, where the couple each had to rest from the one thing that they couldn't rest from. Oh, and at first, they really, really struggled to rest from that for one day a week. But what they found was when they said, I'm going to do this for one day a week, I'm not going to do that, and you're not going to do that. They found that just practicing that, it started to then filter into the rest of their week. They had to be really deliberate. And if your week is one-dimensional, because you won't stop brick-making, that one thing 
that you have to do all the time. That's become your many thing. And where is the time in the week where you just don't? Where you just don't do that? Where you don't make the bricks? Because if you try resting from that role, that one way you might say, I am so-and-so and this is my, if you try resting from that and try another one on for size, that's a place to start. And that was Martha's invitation too. Third one. <laughs> if, if this isn't helping any of you, I'll tell you what, it's really helping me. <laughs> I've worked through this a lot this week. Controlling the outcome. Oh my. There are times when we have to surrender the outcome. And don't we find that hard? Um, we have to stop solving, controlling, looking for solutions. But that sometimes is unthinkable. Because you're like, I can't leave this. I can't let this go. I can't do nothing. What will happen? Um, it's like saying you don't care that it doesn't matter, that you are going to somehow withhold and not give and invest your best. But surrendering the outcome has to mean that the future can be whatever it turns out to be, and I will face that in the present as this unfolds, rather than obsessively try to control how it unfolds. And I read this. These are, all, these are interesting. See if any of these sit with you. We cannot control how people are going to respond to us and our work in the world. Surrendering the outcome is making peace with our lack of control over how people respond to us and our work. Surrendering the outcome is coming to terms with the freedom people have to react to us and our work however they want. Surrendering the outcome is embracing the fact that there are no guarantees when it comes to results. And if you are looking for a particular response to bring you joy, that response may never come. And some of us need to spend some time reconciling with that. And that might be what we need to rest from one day a week where we surrender our outcomes. I thought these edited thoughts from a, a book called The Naked Now by Richard Raw were really interesting this week. The future is by definition the unsayable and the uncontrollable filled with paradoxes, mysteries, and confusion. It is an imperfect world at every level. We attempt to build for ourselves many protections against this imperfection, even in the patterns of our mind. This unsayable future, preparing for it and also fearing it, determines much of our lives. Thus, we search for predictability, explanation and order to give ourselves some sense of peace and control. But if we surrender to the fear of uncertainty, life can become a set of insurance policies. Our short time on earth becomes small and self-protective, a kind of circling of the wagons around what we can be sure of and what we think we can control, even God. It provides us with the illusion that we are in the driver's seat navigating on safe, small roads, and usually in a single predetermined direction that can only take us where we have already been. This was my favorite line. For far too many people, no life journey is necessary because we think we already have all our answers at the beginning. And Jesus was inviting Martha to a new beginning, and I love this, to not know her own answers. 
And sometimes in the parts we have assigned ourselves and played, they have become our answers. And we have to not know our own answers. And that, for me, has been what Q's been about for years. Um, and finally, the sanctuary of our habits. My, one of my favourite films when I was growing up, don't judge, was The Sound of Music. We only had four channels, it was limited. If I was ill, I would say to my mum, please can I watch The Sound of Music? Um, because I found great comfort in this, this movie. Um, I loved this film. Anyway, I went to see a production of it in York the other week and then on the Sunday I rewatched the film because it's brilliant. And in The Sound of Music, um, Maria is in training to be a nun. But she's not doing the role very well. She's not really on the script of how you're supposed to behave as a nun. She keeps running, running around singing on the mountains. Which I don't know what's wrong with that, but apparently it is. So she is sent to this family with seven children to be a governess. But while she's there, she falls in love with the, the, the dad who's been widowed. And this sends her into a panic because she's a nun. She's about to go back to be a nun. She can't then fall in love. It doesn't fit with the role. So she runs back to the convent and she hides. And she puts herself into seclusion, separates herself, and then the Reverend Mother calls for her. And she talks this through with her and points out that it isn't either or to be devoted to God. She can be devoted to God as a nun, but she could also be devoted to God if she got married to this man. It, it, doesn't, it isn't either or. Um, and because marriage can be devotion too, and she can leave her version of what represented devotion to her originally, but wear that devotion now in a different way. She can quite literally take off her habit, because that's what they're, they're called, the clothing nuns wear, and remain devoted. And I thought there was such wisdom in this when I watched it, because if I change my sanctuary or habit, what does this say about my loyalty and devotion to the original cause? And I really struggle with that because if I've committed to something and been loyal to something and seen the standard of something and seen how a thing should be, I, I don't like when I, if I change my mind, I'm saying that doesn't matter anymore. But just because the plan was one thing, the commitment was one thing, the intent was one thing, it doesn't mean you love less if that takes on a different shape. And sometimes to stay behind previous walls for fear of changing that commitment isn't necessarily loving devotion, but it could be us using where we found sanctuary previously in other roles to avoid facing new roles and new challenges that we can be equally devoted to. So why was Martha's sanctuary in the tasks? Why is your sanctuary where it is? What, what are we not facing sometimes? Perhaps that she wasn't doing, perhaps Martha was someone who wasn't very good at doing nothing and just listening. She'd rather be the busy one because then that suited her and she didn't have to think. Perhaps she didn't want to be in a position where her resentment might leak out. Did anyway, but perhaps she was avoiding that and trying to hold it in. And perhaps her identity was in being needed, the one sacrificing the one excelling at hosting, as long as everyone saw it, saw it and it was recognised. Um, I just wanted to throw in a really brief thought here that I could have gone down a massive rabbit trail on and I nearly cut it out completely, but this will just, I think, be, be right for some of you to just think about because it will be in your lane of things you think about. Um, and again, I've stolen this from something that I've read, but I really liked it. Some of us were taught that we had to focus on Jesus' divinity and that our call is to enter into his life and become a really suitable expression of the divine ourselves. 
But what if we are already a suitable expression of the divine as Jesus was? That there's no more work to do there as our divinity is not separate or wounded or broken, but our humanity can be. And Jesus called himself the Son of Man often. And what if what we've got to learn is a lot about his humanity? Because Jesus excelled in the integration of divinity and humanity. And what if the difficult yet necessary task is to become wholly human and that being devoted to that might be good for a season? It's an interesting idea, isn't it? Jesus interacted with Martha's very human experience. It wasn't about how she becomes more holy or how she becomes more loved, but it was how she becomes more whole in her life experience, her heaven on earth experience. So to close, perhaps we have to each consider the previous roles and habits we've been holding. Versions of ourselves we're attached to, that we find worth in, that we're afraid to lose, our little grudge plants that we like to tend to, our tasks and our busyness, to find our one thing, the one thing that will cut through it all. And that one thing might be one thing this week and a different thing next week and a different thing the week after that because the one thing is the thing that's now and the now word and the thing that we're listening to now. But we worry about what the consequences will be and we don't like the idea of our standards dropping and we resent things and people who have it easier. But these may be the distractions that we have to simplify them. And I'll finish with a picture of the moon that I saw this week. It's a series of images and in the first one there's the moon. And then he, I said, it's really clever. Someone's positioned the camera angle so it looks like you can get the moon in the back of your car. Really clever. But it is an illusion. Because the moon go up, go in the boot of your car. And for some of us, many moons pass by each day. And yet we still strain to get them into the boot of our car. But in truth, there's only ever one moon. And just our perspective on that moon keeps changing. But the, the moon is the moon. And our efforts, although sometimes impressive, are not accurate or helpful in the long run. We can't control all the consequences. There will never, ever be a consensus on appropriate standards and resentment just really makes us suffer. So what if we let the moon be where it is, get out of our car and just surrender to the extent of it? Sit down and find out what we hear when we stop and when we do in the stillness. Alan Watts said, you are something the whole universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something that the whole ocean is doing. You're okay. So you can let go of your current end places where you feel at the end of yourself, your solutions, your known answers, where your role always seems to end up and you can find rest and peace in new ways if we simplify and my prayer this morning is that becomes a whole and human experience for us all in as many moments of as many days as possible. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>